And so if you, uh, this is what we would encourage you, for you to take that worship guide home with you and for you to use that as kind of a family worship guide because uh, what uh, the, the songs have been picked on purpose and to go along with this passage um, this morning is about weakness. And um, it's interesting to talk about a theme like weakness when you're talking about uh, Jesus is better. Um, all this semester, we're talking how Jesus is better and he is more supreme and he is superior to all things of this earth. We began in chapter one seeing that Jesus is better than this creation. And so as beautiful and as vast and as complex as creation is, that Jesus is better than all of creation and all of its beauty that it gives. We then look at something that would be superior to even humans, uh, these things called angels, the things that are, you know, that last forever, that cannot die, that are beautiful, and they, they, they know, they have the ear of God, and we then see that Jesus, that he is better than even the angels, the most beautiful of all, of all creatures. He is better than them. Uh, because of the flu, we didn't get to walk into chapter 3 to see that Jesus is better than Moses. But by far, I mean, the who's of who, I mean, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, we see Moses. I mean, he comes out on top in almost any category. And we will see, we, we should have seen in chapter 3 that Jesus is better than Moses. Last week, we took the commandment of all commandments, the one, one commandment that, that made the Jewish nation completely different from all of other nations. That is this idea of Sabbath, of actually not working one day of the week, actually not being productive one day of the week. And we, see, we saw that Jesus is our better rest. We walk into rest. It would be interesting how Jesus is better and Jesus is better, better, better for this author here in, in that last part of chapter 4 and 5 to then come with such a strong theme of weakness. But that's where we have us. We are here talking about weak, weakness. You and I know weakness probably as much of any emotion on planet. It comes farther and it comes stronger into our hearts more than happiness any day. Um, it's even stronger than sadness because we are confronted every day just how weak we are and how broken this life is. There are children being born every day that are rushed from hospital rooms into a neonatal intensive care unit. We know that um, even this week, two precious, precious uh, ladies in our body are going through unbelievable surgeries that are surely scary, um, but just bring a, a mortality to our souls. I was, um, um, this is not as, as strong, but I was 3'9", and I grew all the way up to 3'11", before I entered into middle school. And being a young guy, you know, just, uh, not being young, being young and small, very, very small, um, just had all kinds of insecurities, and I found myself having to compensate for that kind of weakness, where I was literally always looking up to everyone. I was, someone's, I was always someone's little brother. There's a boss that um, makes you feel weak and makes you feel strong. There are temptations that are in your life now that literally break you down and make you feel sober, make you feel or you're just almost numb. You're addicted to some things that have 
put you in the margins of life or the margins of friendships. Maybe you are a sibling that, uh, maybe you are the runt of the family that is always dismissed, either um, physically or maybe even just verbally. Maybe you have a relationship with your mom or your dad. That's just not quite right. This emotion and this feeling of weakness is a part of our life and a part of our reality. But we're not alone. We're not alone in this idea of weakness at all. You see, Jesus is better, and he is superior, and he is more beautiful. Amen? He is better than creation, and he is better than the angels and Moses, and he is our better rest. And yet, when he's talking about humanity, when he's walking alongside just normal, everyday men and women, he walks in with this theme, and he makes it very clear that he too knows, and he understands our weakness, because he was weak, and he was tempted, and he suffered, and he died. And we hear Jesus ask, literally asking for help. And so as we look at someone to actually represent us, to actually be our representation to God, we needed someone who could be empathetic with all of our causes. And here we find not just, not just a Messiah, not just the Christ, which are high and exalted names, but we find a son. We find one who is, with great empathy, able to walk alongside us and our weaknesses and in temptation. This is a pretty heavy subject. I'll try to get through it as quickly as I can just to kind of mediate, uh, mitigate some of the pressure. But let me be firm with this, that Jesus knows our weaknesses and he knows where we are lacking in strength. And we need that more than almost anything else that we could talk about this morning. He uses weakness, and he uses this, this human representative called the high priest. The high priest is an interesting person to kind of like highlight here. But uh, there's, there's, no, like, there, there's no better figure to actually represent humanity to God than this role or this function of the high priest. You see, the high priest would get dressed up in this, this, this garb or this, these vestments, and he would walk in, as, as Will talked about, one time a year. He would get all dressed up, and he would pierce through not just one courtyard, but not two, but three courtyards, and he would actually find himself in front of a curtain just like this. And behind a curtain just like this would be called the Holy of Holies. There was a holy place, and that place was spectacular, right? And that thing, I mean, it was just, it was picture perfect to, to set apart who God is. And so people could be in the holy place. But back there, right, behind the curtain, no one dared to even go or go through that curtain but once a year. And it wasn't just once a year, but it was only one person. And it was one person who was a priest who had been elevated for that one day to become the high priest that day to offer one sacrifice. And that sacrifice was supposed to represent all of the sins of the people to God. He would walk into a place called the mercy seat, 
with the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle blood, actual real blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness or for the atonement, for the forgiveness of all sins. Year after year after year, thousands of sacrifices after after itself, over and over and over, every single year, one high priest would stand in front of a curtain, take a deep breath, and walk into the Holy of Holies with an experience that no other human being, minus the other high priest, had ever experienced. And they were to stand there and represent all of humanity. But not just humanity, but they were to represent humanity's sin. That's why there was a sacrifice. That's why there was blood. That's why it was called a temple. Because humanity needed to come right with God. And so year after year, this day of atonement, they call it, Yom Kippur. Every single year, they would, he would walk in and he would offer a sacrifice. Here in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, we see that Jesus, Jesus is our great high priest. This is, what this, this is who he is. He wasn't just a high priest, but he was the great high priest. And we've heard it read a couple of times. We see over and over exactly what this means. It means that he can stand before God, which is amazing. Number two, that he can bring a much better sacrifice, a much better blood offering. Number two. But number three is that through this one man, we all get to participate in something that was reserved for only one man one time a year over and over and over. Jesus is literally, literally, in our pages, he's ripping down or shredding this veil so that we can all have access to the Holy of Holies. But it had to go, th- uh, but the, re- the way that all of this had to come about was through weakness. It was interesting that, um, that uh, this passage talks so much about weakness, but let's just, let's just dive in. Verse 14, and since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, to our, hold fast our confession. Now, this is not confession as in confess your sins one to another. This is not, hey, Dad, I stole a piece of candy. I need to go pay it back. That's one type of confession. This thing that we're to hold fast to, this, this gripping on, this, this is a nautical or a ship kind of word, to hold fast or literally to grip. This type of confession is this set of beliefs, these elevated facts about what we believe that we are to hold fast to. And so Jesus is telling us that Jesus, has, who's passed through the heavens, who is the high priest, who is greater than all the other high priest, who is the son, and who is the God, let us hold on to all of those facts, for all that is confessional type stuff. And then the page turns, and then the topic actually changes on us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who with every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. First and foremost, the person that we need to stand in front of us, the one that we need more than anything else in our life is someone who is able to take our place in our weakness and in our temptation. And Jesus was able to do both of those without sin. Before we get to the without sin part, let's talk about this idea of weakness and temptation. 
Jesus Christ, this passage tells us, everything that you feel weak in, whether it's your relationship with your husband, whether it would be a fractured relationship with a teenager, and every weakness, whether it would be physical or emotional, whether it be some kind of medical diagnostic, whether it be some kind of infirmity that you cannot get rid of, Jesus is actually walking alongside you in that very weakness. Because we do, we have a high priest who is, who is not unable to sympathize. This is kind of a literary twist. He could have easily said, who is able to sympathize, but in great kind of literary form, he actually comes at a double ne- negative in saying, who is not able to, uh, to, to sympathize with us. He is able to walk alongside us in all of our weakness. And this is something that we need to understand. Here in the Deep South, we feel like it is our job to measure up. And we're always measuring up. That's the reason we need an attaboy from our fathers, because we're always trying to straighten up, and we need that affirmation so very badly. That's why most of us here in the South, we're we're really good employees, because we want to do the boss proud. Well, all that carries over in our relationship with the Lord as well, in that we too have to muster it up, and we have to be seen as right before God, before he is able to pay attention to us. This is a really flawed way of looking at God. You see, God is actually pursuing us and actually walking toward us and actually sympathizing with us, showing great empathy toward us in our weakness. And not just the little bitty kind of weaknesses like, oh, I can't believe I did this or that. I mean, I'm talking about broken, dismantled, just, I mean, hurricane kind of just chaos all over your life. That's where he wants to step into your life because that's where he has been as well. He, full of weakness, being tempted in the same way that we are, is able to sympathize, to bring empathy to every cause of yours and mine. Jesus Christ literally is walking and has walked beside us. That's why a fancy word called the incarnation is so very important, that God left the comforts of heaven and literally came to earth to to, to be... um, to be exposed to all the things that we have been exposed to. All the same pressures and all of the same trials, that he is our big brother, and he is like us in every way. In every way. And he has every, all this in common with us. And so, if we're troubled or if we're hurt or if we're being strongly tempted and we want to share these types of feelings, we need someone who, that we can, we can, who knows that who's walked in the same kind of manner that we have. Here we have in, this, in the last part of chapter 4, in verse 14 and 15 and 16, we see that we have Jesus, who is the representative of all humanity, who has walked beside with us. He's simply com- coming alongside us in our weakness and in our temptation. He's simply saying, I know. He says, I know. But Lord, how in the world can you understand this? And he just says, I know. He is fully human. Like fully human. He has a real body and real emotions. 
in a strange way, he had to be taught. I mean, God having to actually go to school to be taught. Jesus was a middle schooler. I mean, he understands hormones. I don't understand that, but he understands these types of temptations and these raging things that are going on. He has actually been face-to-face with Satan himself who is pointing and lying. This is our high priest, the representative of all humanity who is walking alongside us in our weakness and our frailties. And when we fail, the worst of worst, and he's simply saying, I know, I know, you're my child, I know. I'm not scared off by your sin. I'm not scared off by your temptations or your weaknesses. That's actually the reason I actually came to be a part of this whole thing. God feels it. He has truly been there. And so Jesus' incarnation is amazing. He was 100% humanity. He was 100% man with all emotions and physical and all that types of stuff. He had to be 100% man. And yet he also had to be 100% God, right? And so he, he not just was tempted in all things, not just sympathizing with all of our weaknesses and in every respect be tempted, and yet he did not sin. He was able to do something that we were not able to do. Keep going in verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says that he's comp- the high priest had to be fully God, but also had to be appointed by man. So Jesus had to walk into this space as fully human, but also had to be appointed or lifted up as or from God. So uh, verse 1, 5, 1. For every high priest chosen from among men, so he had to be fully man, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can, til- he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. This is what Jesus is able to do. Since he himself is beset with weakness, Jesus is able to put on this weakness for us. But, uh, or sorry, this because of this, he was obligated to offer for his own sins. So this is why Jesus is better than all of the other high priests. Jesus, even though he was in weakness and tempted, he did not sin. And yet over and over and over throughout all history, every high priest had to offer first a, a sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does not offer, just as he offers for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself. This is an interesting phrase. A high priest is a high priest because God has appointed him. He cannot self-select. But only when God, only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him when he said, you are my son. So this is Jesus, who is not just a representative of humanity, but he's also a representative of God himself. He actually has to be appointed by God himself, so he has to be 100% divine. And this is why we know that he is better, because he's able to walk alongside us in our weaknesses and our temptations, able to be empathetic, and yet have complete victory over all these things. It was once said, like, how do you know the strength of the German army in World War II? How do you know the strength of the German army unless you fight against it? For all of those people and all of those countries that just literally laid down in front of a stronger force, they never understood the resistance of a great and powerful army. 
The only way you understand its power is to actually stand up against it and fight it and actually have victory over it. And that's what Jesus did. And so, in a real way, as C.S. Lewis tells us, is that they have lived a life by always giving in, by always laying down, by always being just succumbed by, by sin. We don't know the strength of evil until we fight against it. Jesus was the only, only man who never yielded to temptation. Is also the only man who, who to know the full what temptation means. In a real way, Jesus is the complete realist, meaning he has stood up against temptation and he has won against it. Another example is not just how do you know the strength of temptation, right? It's this idea of fasting. Fasting is a remarkable idea that you are actually going to withhold food and, may, and substance from, your, from, from intake in order to like literally live uh, by another sustenance, right? Another nutrition. And the, the, the idea of fasting is, is to depend on God fully throughout your day or two days or three days or however long that you want to go without food. Well, the idea of fasting for me is that I thought it was important to understand what a hunger pain really means. You know, the growling of your stomach. I thought that was the most important moment when you fasted, is to actually feel this hunger pain and actually take that something to Jesus and say, no, Lord, you're my true sustenance. So I thought I had equated it with pain. Well, the longer I fast and the longer that I, I come, I wonder if I, my, 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 my ideas are shifting just a little bit because there's something beautiful and there's something amazing about the very first bite of something when you come out of a fast. Like you truly crave it. You truly delight in it. You really think that it is delicious and you can't wait to have it. And I wonder if it's not as much about the pain as it is to drive and truly understand what it means to want something so very badly. This is what Jesus is able to do. He's able to rise up against temptation in our weakness and our pain. But then he is also able in complete divinity, able to give us the truer and the better everything. He truly is our better sustenance of everything. And so let us hold fast to this confession, men and, and women. Let us hold fast that he is truly our son, or that he is truly the son of God. That he is truly our Messiah. He is truly our Savior. He is truly fully God. But let us hold fast to this confession that he is incarnate, that he is fully man, and he knows us well. It's as important for us to step, uh, take a step in faith to say, Jesus, you are fully God, and I believe in you. And that you have come to be a, a perfect sacrifice for me and all of my sin. And you can be empathetic, and you can sympathize with all of my weaknesses. This is what we cling on to, that, God is, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's interesting here in the, at the end of chapter 4, he tells us to do a couple of things in public says this, since we have this great high priest, Jesus, who's gone through the heavens, the son of heaven, let us, all right? So if you, if you scar up your Bibles a little bit, I would encourage you to, 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 this is a command from our Hebrew writers. He says, let us hold fast this confession. 
Actually, let us, like, like, this is what you need to do. You need to hold on to this, right? This is what you need to hold on to. And this confession that we are to hold on to is that Jesus Christ was weak and he was tempted and yet he did not sin. And this is what makes us fully human is this understanding. And we are to have this confession and we are to bring this belief out in public so that all people may know. We buried a, an evangelist this, this past week, Billy Graham, who was amazing at calling on crowds and calling on a group of people to respond in faith. And he's simply asking, he's simply quoting this, this passage here, is what are you clinging on to? What are your belief systems? And what is it that you are going to rest for all eternity on? Our passage tells us that he is complete, that Jesus was completely God And yet he was fully man and full of weakness and temptation, yet he did not sin. He was able able to sympathize with us. He, He resisted sin. I would encourage you this morning that if you have not reached out to cling only, as chapter six calls it, this anchor, hold on to Jesus, that you would do so this morning. In the same way, this confession is is fully public for you to actually bring that into public and for people to know this is what you believe and that's where it gets scary. That's where it gets scary actually for our little little house church here in Italy because our house church were like really, they were trembling because the government was oppressing them because of what they believed and what they wanted to do was walk away from their faith and walk back towards something that was much more safe. And the Hebrew says, don't do that. Hold on to this confession. Hold on to Jesus alone. And not only shrink away in a house church, not only shrink away into society, but actually let it be your confession and bring that out into public. Allow your faith not to be privatized, but actually to bring it out into public where it's actually going to risk, actually going to be risky for you. This is what the Hebrew writer is asking of us for us to bring this confession in public. And we can do that by declaring our faith that God is completely human and completely God at the same time. In the same way, for a lot of us, we take a step of faith toward Jesus in faith and we receive salvation. And in the same way, the next step is is baptism, which is a very public confession of your faith in Jesus. Baptism is a beautiful picture. You can't dodge anybody. I mean, you really can't dodge anybody because it's out in public. And here's what's interesting, especially with this passage, is that you are going to be put underneath the water, right? And in weakness, you're going to be held underwater for just a second or so. Because underwater, you can't, you can't breathe, right? You're literally totally weak, and you're like under somebody else's like power to like, man, are you going to bring me up? Are you going to like come out of the, am I going to get out of this? And so in weakness, like you are publicly declaring that I am weak, and yet through Christ's resurrection, that this is my new life. And this is important for a church body to see and to hear the testimony and hear the confession of, of men and women. And so Easter Sunday, about a month from now, we're actually going to have a baptismal service on Easter Sunday. And so we don't have the logistics of of where, you know, how it's going to happen and those types of things. But we would encourage you, if you've never been baptized, if you've never had this public confession of faith, 
being represented in baptism, we would encourage you to step in toward that because it is a beautiful picture of this, conf- this confession that you hold. Not only are we to hold on to this confession, real, real quick, one more moment of weakness. Let us hold fast this confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who with every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Our second kind of commandment in this passage, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us with confidence actually walk toward the holy of holies. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Another moment of weakness for us is actually saying, I need some help. Actually saying, hey, I'm pretty needy. Here we have in verse 13, or I'm sorry, in verse 17, we have this idea. There is no verse 17. I don't know where I'm talking about. In verse 16, we have this idea that we are to receive something from Jesus when we walk toward him and we receive mercy and we understand, we find grace in our time of need. This is another exclamation mark that he understands where we are and he really wants to give us things. But in a bold declaration, he wants us to pray and he wants us to pray out loud and he wants us to pray out in public and, we wa- and he wants us to pray out loud in public about our need for him because that's when he's gonna sweep in and actually offer the grace and mercy that we, that we so much deserve. And the reason I know that this is not just a confession of what we believe, but this is actually a prayer language in which we are to approach the throne of grace because we look at chapter five, uh, verse, golly, I am getting blind, verse seven. I'll just bring in spectacles um, or get a large print Bible. Verse seven, it says this, this is Jesus praying out loud in public for other people to hear. This is how Jesus prayed. In the days of flesh, he was fully man. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears. This is how Jesus prays. This is how he approaches the throne of grace, that with loud cries and with tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You and me, brothers and sisters, we do not have it all put together. We do not have all the problems solved. We do not have this this, uh, world whipped. What we have is weakness. And what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning is it is okay. I know because the way that I learned is through suffering. The way that Jesus learned was through suffering. The night before Jesus died, with loud cries to be heard, he yelled, my God, on the cross, he yelled, my God, my God. This is what he yelled. This is what he cried. I mean, cried. He literally sweat tears or sweat blood, and he looks like he cried tears. So if you have an unanswered prayer, so does Jesus. If you are suffering, So did Jesus. 
Mark tells us that there was horror and dismay that came on Jesus' face as he prayed. He quoted that this is a night of grief. It tells us in the garden right before that he was crucified that he threw himself on the ground and cried out that this hour would pass by. That night, he was yelling, Abba, Father, can you please help me? He wasn't trying to get, dodge death. He just wanted to make sure that death is going to be defeated and his relationship with his father was going to be restored. He says, somehow, someway, take this cup of wrath from me. Allow it to be another way. But I understand that this cup is a bitter one and a cup that has to be done alone. And so in the same way that the high priest would walk behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies all by himself, into the presence of God, Jesus walked into God's wrath alone, exposed. Jesus was not just the high priest who was to offer the sacrifice. We know that Jesus himself was the sacrifice. And in these moments of despair and agony, he prayed out loud. And he had a confession out loud and in public. Our weaknesses are not something to be hidden. We feel ashamed by those things. And yet, how can we experience God's grace? And how can we not understand the gospel without giving those things to him? The power of Satan has been defeated. And that defeat, right, and that victory has been passed on to you and me. Because later on in the New Testament, we just continue to flip and we'll see that we are a royal priesthood, that we are priests. We get access to God himself. This is what Jesus gives us. And it is an amazing thing. Don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid of weakness. Stand firm against temptation because it is in these seasons that we actually learn as Jesus learned, which was through suffering. Jesus says, I know, I know. I've been there before. But don't you worry. You can fall and you can have weakness. I didn't. I took care of it. Jesus Christ literally ascended into heavens and passed through the heavens and is literally sitting on the right hand of the Father right now, stable and firm. And he wants to offer you the mercy and the grace that he so eagerly provides. This morning may be a morning where you need to, need to stop trying and maybe stop feeling like your weakness is some kind of, 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 of hurdle to get to God. It's not. This is the reason why he came. Jesus continued the analogy of weakness by going to um, an upper room with his disciples. And in a great display of weakness, Jesus takes a piece of bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body given for you. This bread doesn't look as nice as it once did. It looks gnarled. It looks weak. You know, it's got dents in it, and, right? It's just lost its form. What the world sees as weakness and yucky and lost its form is the only way that we are to receive life. 
And in the same way that he took a, a glass of, a pitcher, a chalice of wine, and he says, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the covenant that will actually forgive sins. This is the blood of my covenant poured out for you. And so what looks broken and what looks poured looks like a waste, right? Looks like it's deformed. God actually says, I will take these things that look like weakness and I'll actually give you strength. The storyline of the Bible is that Jesus Christ had to give up his life in weakness so that we would find life and strength. If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, we would want you to come boldly into a throne of grace to walk not in your own self, but the power of Jesus this morning. These, um, uh, this is communion at Redstone. We do this um, every week where we, we pause. There's no altar call here where you, know, you see some churches because we believe that we all need to respond in some way this morning. It's not just a select few, but that we all need to respond. We all need to respond in faith to Jesus this morning. So there's these men, and they've got these, um, there's a, a plate of, of juice and some, some little crackers. Um, they're gluten-free, so if you've got tummy issues, go there. This is not gluten-free. So there's going to be four stations around the, around the room. I'll be up front serving as well. What we would encourage you is that for you to hold firm this confession. What do you believe? And then for you to boldly, maybe with a loud cry to, for you to pray, with great supplications and prayers, with loud cries and maybe even tears of joy that Christ has made a way to be heard. God can hear your prayers this morning because of Jesus. So why don't you stand? I'll pray and just know that um, at the end of my prayer that these stations are completely open and ready um, to serve you in any way that uh, fits you and your family. Jesus Christ, you laid down your life for us. Help us now to walk in faith toward that love. Jesus, we didn't deserve it, and yet you gave it willingly for us. Thank you, Lord, for being completely human, for understanding our temptations and our weaknesses, for understanding our emotions, our hormones, our inadequacies, Lord. And yet you did not sin, you did not cave, and this is why, under the name of Jesus, we come and we take this meal because this is your meal that you want to serve to us. We ask this in your good name. Amen.